The reading today is Exodus chapter 35 to the 35, 21 to 29, and Exodus chapter 40, 17 to 38. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart bought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to, stirred, stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the effort and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, all the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. And now, Exodus chapter forty, seventeen to 38. In the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting, opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil, and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the, cent- at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and his Aaron and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. 
in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, this evening we are completing our series in Exodus. I don't know how you found uh, the last 11 weeks, I think it is, that we've been um, in Exodus. Uh, I guess maybe the the start was was familiar um, with the plagues, uh, and it's got a little bit more less familiar as we've gone on. Um, If you've been here uh, throughout those 11 weeks, you'll know uh, that we've been, um, we've had an object each week to help us remind us uh, of what's been going on. Um, And there's lots of them now, so I'm going to run through them very quickly. We've got uh, the chains we had, Israel started off in slavery. God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. I've forgotten how to turn this on. There we go. And then uh, he went back to Egypt, and we had um, the plagues. The staff represented God's power through Moses uh, to demonstrate his power. Um, We had the Passover lamb as God rescued the people from Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea, like that, that's how that works. Um, Parting of the Red Sea as the Israelites escaped from Egypt. Uh, We had God's provision for them uh, by providing the manna and the quail, represented by the bread in the wilderness. Um, and then we had Moses going up and down the mountain at Sinai, bringing them the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, nearly there. The scroll of the covenant, the law that God gave Moses on top of the mountain. Two weeks ago with John, we had uh, the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. Uh, and we had this ark um, as one of the things that they were to build Uh, And then last week, we witnessed a bit of a car crash, didn't we? As um, the Israel got bored waiting for Moses to come up and down the mountain. Uh, Sorry, Israel got bored waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain uh, where he was meeting with God. And they made a way to access God themselves. They wanted him to work uh, the way that they, they wanted, not the way that he told them. And so they made this golden calf to uh, try and get access to God. Uh, But we saw, didn't we, uh, with Rob, that Moses stepped up uh, in his role as mediator that God had prepared him for. Uh, God was merciful, and they escaped the punishment that they deserved. And so the question we have now is, is the plan still on? Is God coming near to dwell among them at the tabernacle. We've got all the instructions, but are the people going to be able to fulfill them? So this evening we're going to see that in fact the plan does continue in God's way, and the plan continues as God comes near. First, the plan continues God's way. At the start of chapter 35, uh, it's almost like the golden calf never happened. At the end of uh, chapter 31, uh, God tells Moses about the Sabbath. He gives commands uh, about what to do on the Sabbath. And then at the start of chapter 35, Moses tells the people those commands about the Sabbath that God has given him. And if you cut out the bit in the middle, you wouldn't really notice a break. It seems like this might be a second chance for the people A chance to do things God's way, not the DIY 
golden calf way. And there are two things that stand out in these chapters as we look at the people building the tabernacle in God's way. First of that is their willing hearts. Their willing hearts. In the first part of the reading that Ollie brought us in chapter 35, did you notice uh, how the people react to being asked to provide the building materials uh, for the tabernacle? Verse 21, uh, they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution. You see, the, the people were willing to provide everything that they can to get the tabernacle built. And they didn't need to uh, choose between two people uh, like they did in the game. But they were willing to give what they had. In fact, they bring even more than is needed. Chapter 36 and verse 8, we see that the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and much more. How many charities do you know that would love to have a giving day like that? What could have prompted this extravagant generosity in a people who so far in Exodus seem to have spent most of the time grumbling or even completely turning their back on God? It can only be one thing, surely. Remember where we are in the story. It can only be their gratitude. Gratitude that God has relented from his anger. Thankfulness that he's renewed the covenant with Moses. Thankfulness that despite their sin with the golden calf, they're still going to be able to build a dwelling place for God among them. Remember, back in the start, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, forced to build for the king. Now they're free, forgiven, and they're willing to build for God. Their willing hearts is God's way. The other thing that stands out as we read this account is the people's obedience. There's a phrase that comes up again and again and again, 18 times, in fact, in these chapters. It's as the Lord has commanded Moses. Now, we didn't read chapters 36 to 39 uh, earlier. Um, it's quite long. Uh, but if you flick through as uh, you're waiting for the service to start or earlier, uh, you might have noticed that it looks very familiar. In fact, it sounds almost exactly the same uh, as chapters 35 to 31 that we looked at with John two weeks ago. There's a bit up on the screen that you probably can't read the words, um, but uh, on the left is chapter 25, on the right is chapter 37, and it's almost word for word. But on chapter 37 uh, and throughout this second repetition, we see that everything is done as the Lord had commanded Moses. We've got instructions for building, and we've got those instructions being followed precisely. So why? Why have we got four chapters of God's word that are almost identical to what came only three chapters ago? Well, actually, that's the point. They are identical. The people followed exactly the instructions that they'd been given. 
I'm the kind of guy who, um, when you get a, a, a new flat pack to build, I'm going to take out the instructions and read every step before I get anything else out. But I guess lots of you uh, might have a different approach. Uh, you rip open the box. The instructions are just the first thing to get out the way, uh, to chuck away before you get to the good bit. But I wonder how often does that actually lead to hours of frustration and a set of shells that actually ends up looking like a chair. See, the people had decided to go their own way, and they ended up with a golden calf. This time, the people do exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they end up with the tabernacle. Again, we need to remember the order of this story. This isn't a people desperately trying to appease an angry God, uh, trying to follow his uh, commands in order to earn anything. They're not trying to earn anything because it's already been given to them. This is a people who have gone their own way, tried doing it DIY style, and who have now been shown mercy. And so having been forgiven, are free to obey the God who showed them mercy. This is God's way, willing hearts and obedience. It's God's way today, too. See, we go our own way every day. As Rob showed us last week, we make tweaks to our idea of God so he becomes what we want him to be. We move the things round on the potato head. But through Jesus, we're forgiven. And so we're free to come with willing hearts and to do as God commanded. I wonder how you feel about the Christian life this evening. Has it become a list of things to do and not do? Time, money, energy, that it feels like you're forced to give. That's not what God wants. We need to remember that God has forgiven us already, completely. And nothing can change that. Look at the Israelites and what they find life to be like as they go God's way. I'm not saying life is going to be easy, but it is much, much better than the slavery that they came from. The plan continues as they go God's way. And second, the plan continues as God comes near. So everything has been made uh, just as God instructed. And the people bring it to Moses. And as we're reading, it feels like we're reaching a climax. We finally got uh, what everything has been leading up to since the people uh, reached Mount Sinai. Uh, Perhaps what the whole book has been leading up to, in fact. It's God coming near. And they build the tabernacle. And here is the tabernacle. Shout out to Fiona for making that. I gave her a challenge, and she's outdone herself. Um, Alistair, if you can get a close-up of that at some point, it'd be amazing, because, yeah, it's spot on. Um, They build the tabernacle, and then uh, chapter 40 and verse 34, we read, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. At last, what a day that must have been. Moses tightens the final guy rope, 
does the final check round, closes the courtyard gate, and steps outside to survey the work. And it lights up as the tent is hidden from view and God's glory shines out. This is what they've been waiting for, what they came here for. Let's uh, zoom out again and see that this is what the whole of Exodus has been about. Remember, at the start, Moses was in Egypt, uh, and he went out to meet God on the mountain at the burning bush. Then the people were brought out of Egypt, uh, and they were able to come and worship by the mountain. But they couldn't go up. Moses went between them, up and down the mountain, between God and the people. Uh, And then the elders went up and joined Moses on the mountain. They ate and drank. They saw the um, pavement of sapphire under God's feet. Now it wasn't just one man on the mountain. There were 70 of them. And then, as the people are in the camp... God comes down and he meets Moses in the tent of meeting outside the camp. Remember, we saw Moses' face shone having spoken to the Lord in that tent. But he had to cover it with a veil. Do you see what's been happening as we've gone through Exodus? God and the people have been coming nearer and nearer And now they have the tabernacle right in the center of the camp with the people. And the glory of the Lord is filling it. At last, we have God's people living God's way with willing hearts and obedience. And they can see him right there in front of them. And there the glory stays as well. Excuse me, throughout all their journeys, we're told. Wherever they go, they have a visible sign of God's presence with them, right at their center. How amazing would that be to know that they're never alone? But, did you notice the but? They've built this amazing tabernacle for God to dwell in, which is what he's doing. But the other function of the tabernacle isn't going so well. Remember, this tabernacle was also meant to be the place of meeting. Yet in verse 35, we're told, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God is dwelling amongst them as close as he's ever been. There's no need to go traipsing up and down the mountain anymore. But Moses can't get in. And if Moses can't get in, then the people certainly can't. God has come near to the people, but now the people can't get near to them. So what's gone wrong? Well, it's not the tabernacle. We've already seen that uh, the people built it exactly as God had commanded. In fact, it's exactly because uh, the tabernacle was successful in being a place for God to dwell that Moses can't get in. That verse again, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. 
You see, God is holy, and despite their rescue and forgiveness, the people are not. For them to really be able to meet with God, someone or something needs to take their punishment. And we're going to leave that cliffhanger there. You'll have to keep reading into Leviticus, uh, which is actually more of a part two than a separate book, to find out uh, how they're able to keep, how they're able to enter the tent of meeting uh, while God is dwelling there. Except for us, it's not really a cliffhanger, is it? We know that uh, Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle where God comes to dwell not only with his people, but as a person. And we know that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice through whom we can not only meet with God, but be united with him. The tabernacle and the law and all that we've seen in Exodus has so much to teach us about what it looks like to live God's way and what it takes for God to come near and dwell with his people. But unlike the Israelites, we don't have to wonder if it will work. Neither do we have to start working on our tent-making skills. By coming into the world as the God-man, Jesus made a permanent way for people and God to dwell together. And he is not going to uh, leave. Eventually, in Ezekiel, we see that God's glory leaves the temple that replaces the tabernacle. But if we're a Christian, we know that we will never be alone because God dwells in us by his Spirit. It may be that you've never experienced this forgiveness that God offers. You've never experienced having God draw near to you as you live his way. This evening in Exodus, we've seen a glimpse of how amazing it is when you do. And next weekend is Easter. And so what better time to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made and the forgiveness that he offers for us. Come to the cross and receive the gift that he offers If you are already following Jesus, Exodus reminds us what it looks like to live as a forgiven people, not people trying hard to please God, but people with willing hearts, obeying out of gratitude, free from slavery to serve a new master. Exodus shows us just how amazing it is that we have God dwelling among us, not in a tent, but in each one of us by his Spirit in the church. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've spent in the book of Exodus. We thank you for all that we've seen of your character and what it's like to live as your people. And we thank you for the tabernacle and the picture it gives us of what it's like for God to dwell among his people. We pray that you would be with us as we continue to reflect on these words. Help us to trust in your forgiveness. Help us to live for you with willing hearts,
and obedience, knowing that you always dwell with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks, everyone that's taken a seat. That's good. Uh, as you guys are well aware, um, after the sermon, we have an opportunity to discuss some questions that you guys have been sending in to the Pigeonhole website. So I've got a couple here. Um, I'm going to put the first two together, if that's okay. So um, question one is, is there any advice on how we can show our friends that the Old Testament is true? Because a lot of them just kind of think they're fairy tales. And I guess linked to that is, um, is there any archaeological evidence of, well, Old Testament, but specifically the tabernacle? Mm, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your questions. Uh, do keep sending them in. Uh, we've got a few minutes. Um, yeah, if I start with that second one, is there any archaeological te- evidence of the tabernacle? Um, I'm not aware of anything off the top of my head. Um, but actually, if you think about it, that's not that surprising because it was a tent that was designed to move around uh, as the Israelites moved around uh, going on their journey to the Promised Land. Um, and uh, the things like um, the ark got moved into the temple um, and much of the rest would be you know, perishable stuff. Um, so there's no direct evidence that I know of, anyway, uh, about the tabernacle itself. Um, but actually, there is lots of evidence about lots of other things that we're told in the Old Testament. Um, coming back to that, that uh, first part of the question. Um, and, yeah, it is, it's incredible. As you, archaeology is still a relatively new science. It's only been going 100 years or something. Um, and it's incredible that as uh, people dig more um, throughout Israel, uh, they're just finding more and more and more evidence uh, of things uh, that we're told in the Bible. Um, they, uh, yeah, there are towns that um, are mentioned in the Bible that uh, no one could find any sign of for years, uh, and then uh, someone's out digging one day and they, they find things that match up. Um, and uh, if recommendation, um, when everything opens up again, uh, British Museum, um, there's uh, a company that does a tour called uh, Through, Through the British Museum with the Bible, something like that. Um, and they show you, they take you around and they show you all the objects that the British Museum has uh, that points to things in the Bible. Uh, and it's incredible, the um, records of... Uh, the Egyptians, of um, their, their slaves, things like that. Um, there is plenty uh, that you can find uh, to help give us confidence in the Bible. Um, I'll stop there. <laughs> uh, there's another kind of history question, uh, which is, uh, do you know how many years between the exodus from Egypt and then the completion of this tabernacle? Yes, I think it's a year. Um, not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure this is right. Um, the, we're told about the Passover when they leave Egypt. Is the first, that becomes the first month for them. Uh, and then here in chapter 40, uh, it's the first month of the second year. Um, so it's a year after they left. Hopefully that's right. There's two questions to do with how the tabernacle relates to, I guess, uh, other things coming up in the Bible, either mm. more in the Old Testament or New Testament. So what's the relationship between the tabernacle and the temple? And then, is there a relationship between the tabernacle and Jesus? Okay, really good questions. Um, And I wish I'd had more time to go into this um, earlier. Um, 
the tabernacle uh, gets converted, if you like, into the temple once the people are settled in the promised land um, and the, the temple is, is just a bigger, it's twice the size um, and Solomon gets to build that uh, and it's, it is, it's doing exactly the same thing uh, as the, the tabernacle. It's God's dwelling place among the people uh, but the people are no longer wandering around the promised land. Uh, they're living in Israel. Um, yeah, the relationship between the tabernacle and Jesus. Um, where to start? Um, <laughs> well, John, um, in his gospel, um, starts with uh, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Or it is the same word as tabernacle. It's the word became flesh, flesh and tabernacled among us. Um, and so, uh, right from the start of John's gospel, we see Jesus uh, as God coming to dwell with his people in the form of a person. Um, and throughout the gospel, that, that theme carries on. Um, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, when they see, uh, they go to Jerusalem and they see how amazing the, ta- um, the new temple uh, looks, even though it wasn't as good as the old one. Um, they, they marvel at it, and Jesus says, uh, in three days, this, what is it? No, um, this, te- this temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. Um, that's not word for word. Um, and then John adds, uh, as an author's comment, but he wasn't talking about the temple, he was talking about Jesus' body uh, on the cross and resurrection. Um, and so, yeah, the New Testament makes, makes a, a big thing that um, we had the tabernacle, which moved around. Uh, we had the temple, which was fixed. Uh, both were destroyed. Jesus comes and he dwells among his people uh, permanently. And I guess we can squeeze one more in, which is people are, are carrying on that link all the way through to, to this question where uh, you mentioned how God can... Um, as he dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. Um, but, you know, this, this person's questioning, you know, if he's too awesome for the people to enter the tabernacle, why is it that now he, he can say that God is Holy Spirit in us? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about Jesus, isn't it? Um, in, in the Old Testament, uh, the people had to go uh, through so much uh, to get to be able to dwell uh, with um, God, uh, and as I hinted at in, in Leviticus, and um, we have all the sacrifices and all the things that they have to keep doing every day, every year, um, to, to keep themselves clean, uh, to be able to live with God. Uh, but with Jesus and his death and resurrection, um, he's done all of that permanently, once and for all. Uh, and so we're then united with him, and you'll remember Rob's talked um, several times about that plane illustration uh, that when you're uh, in the plane, you go where the plane goes, and that's us. We're united in Jesus if we trust in him, and so because Jesus has access to the Father, he is perfect and holy. He can access the Father anytime. We're united with him, uh, and so we can too. That's a short answer to a big question, yeah. uh, but I hope that's a start and helpful for you.
thank you so much for all your questions. Amazing. Yeah, I think we got through most of those then. And as ever, I think uh, we're collating any questions that, that have been missed um, and then putting them together in, in some kind of question and answer reel at some point. Uh, but now I'm going to invite uh, Max to lead us in.